Welcome to The Signal. I'm Marianne McClarty, third-year journalism student here at King's. Today, you're going to hear from some of my classmates. After a year apart, we've managed to put together a podcast with stories about everything from newborn babies to old auction houses. So let's dive right in. Remember live auctions? Lane Harrison set out to see what new methods the old auction houses have come up with to keep their businesses profitable during the pandemic. He found that most bidders now have to compete from their computers. That's right, Marianne. When I walked into the Wooden Rose Auctions warehouse, there were antiques from wall to wall. I saw antique tables covered in Outdoor Life magazines from the 60s, a collection of antique clocks with and without radios, even a desk that survived the Halifax explosion. A year ago, auctioning them off may have sounded something like this. Now, they'll all be sold online. Wooden Rose CEO Trish Giles says taking estate sale auctions online has redefined her job. You know, it's, it's a different world online, so we have to take more than one photo of things, point out any problems that it might have, where a live auction, you could just say it. In one sense, it's a little less work because it's less travel, it's less uh, trucking and unloading, but there's more, more detail. Prior to the pandemic, Giles used to truck items from her home to a community centre. Now, everything is in a warehouse and sales have never been better but she says she misses their live auction crowd. It's a, it's a very tight community, the auction world, and some of those people are almost like friends more than clients. So yeah, it, for us it was even hard that we couldn't see them, and a lot of people, that's why they come to the auctions. Now, when a bidder ends up on top, instead of congratulations from friends, they hear this from their computer. Giles has found success conducting estate sale auctions online, but when Donnelly Moulton's mother passed, she looked for a company that would sell her belongings on site. Nothing has to be transported anywhere because it's all being sold in the house where it currently exists. And in a COVID world, this was ideal because people can come in with their mask, look around, everybody social distances, and it's convenient and safe. Convenient, safe, but risky because of the virus. Numbers started to go up the week before our sale and we thought oh my god if we go into a lockdown we won't be able to have this sale and our closing is three days after the sale so we will be faced with a houseload of stuff that has to be getting rid of in a couple of days. Luckily COVID numbers turned around and Moulton's sale was successful. We wanted to hear from the company that handled Moulton's estate but they declined our interview request. Well, Marianne, while teams more and more auctions have gone virtual, there are still two options when it comes to getting rid of your stuff or getting someone else's. Online or in line, six feet apart. I gotta say, Lane, virtual auctions don't sound nearly as fun as they would be sitting in a room full of people with paddles. But hey, like you said, it's convenient and safe. As we know, auctions aren't the only things being transferred online. When learning went online, some students went offline. Among those who dropped out, some have discovered new passions. That time away from school has sent their lives in different career directions. Elizabeth Foster met with two students who describe how time away from school has changed their lives. Marianne, an average day in the life of Alex Carter looks very different than it did at this point last year. 
One year ago, Carter was sitting in a classroom studying computer science. Now he's studying different types of bits and bytes by pursuing his newfound interest in cooking. I think it was just general stress levels with the introduction of online classes um, is what kind of pushed me away from wanting to continue with the online school. A recent discovery of my passion for cooking has kind of led me towards working a lot more and, and finding what I like doing. In October, I started working at a cafe, doing a lot of cooking and, and like meal prepping and stuff like that. I, I'm not sure if I want to continue with computer science at Dow, but NSCC culinary uh, was um, one of my options I was looking at to continue my secondary education. Bonnie Russell shares a similar story. Shortly before lockdown last year, Russell decided she was going to take some time off for her mental health. When lockdown happened and courses went online, her decision not to return to school and finish her chemistry degree solidified. In fact, it was during those months of isolation that she began focusing on something entirely different. There was a period of time where I was just having a daily existential crisis where I was like, what am I doing with my life? I don't want to do university anymore. Then what am I going to do? I don't know. I like acting. I like music. And those are things that I genuinely like doing, regardless if I'm like the best at it or whatever. For now, she's looking for jobs to support herself while she continues to develop her skill for acting and music. I'm really enjoying myself and I'm feeling good about myself. Sometimes I feel terrible about myself because I'm like, I can never be a singer. I sound like a child, but I'm getting there. <laughs> if this pandemic has brought any sort of silver lining, it's that students like Russell and Carter are getting to explore their newfound interests. Marianne? Thanks, Elizabeth. As students, I'm sure a lot of us can relate to Carter and Russell's story to some degree. For better or for worse, COVID has changed all of our lives. But you know what they say, Sometimes the best things come when you're least expecting it. Except for maybe some things, like a global pandemic or a baby. If you have a baby, you know it's a lot of hard work. Pair that with a global pandemic and it only gets harder. Hannah Bryanton has more. Well, Marianne, I am here in Charlottetown, PEI. I was chatting with Katie Walters about her experience delivering a baby during a pandemic. When she went into labor a few months ago, her side effects were confused for symptoms of the COVID-19 virus. On December 15th, 2020, Walters went into labor with her second child. At the time, Prince Edward Island was in a province-wide lockdown due to a COVID-19 outbreak. Walters shares her experience from her arrival at the hospital. They asked me if I had any of the following symptoms and I had fevers and chill and I was throwing up. So when we got into the room, they then told me I had to get a COVID test um, and my husband actually had to leave me and go back to the car. Walters was told her COVID test results would be back within the hour. Two hours later, still no results. The nurses allowed her husband to come back in while she received her epidural. So when my husband came back in, he was fully gowned with the mask, with the face shield. I was not allowed to leave the room. Uh, we weren't allowed to have visitors, but he was the only one allowed to come and go. I spoke with nurse Kim Taylor from the maternity unit at the hospital. Although she was unable to discuss the specifics of Walter's experience, 
she was able to talk about the impacts of COVID-19 in her unit. Before, you know, pretty much anybody could come and visit their loved ones when they had their new baby, but once COVID hit and they had all of the isolation protocols in place, it turned out that only husbands could come and visit their wives and meet the new baby. So it really isolated families and um, took away the, I would say, the joy and excitement of a new baby being born and coming into a family. Although Walter's experience was a lonely one, she is thankful to have a healthy baby girl. Back to you, Marianne. Who doesn't love a happy ending? Speaking of happy endings, Michael Beals talked to a nurse who recently retired. Michael? I did, yes. Lynn Millward has been a nurse for 22 years, and the sound of hospital beds rushing around the hospital is common. This sound triggers an image of critical patients she has helped. COVID-19 has made significant changes for her, but this year she is teaching one of the most crucial safety concepts. These safety concepts are now part of the lives of Canadian society and that is how to put on and take off protective gear. Um, in that respect, how to organize your time when you have to enter a room where someone's on contact precautions. Say somebody had TB, the, the route you take as far as putting on and taking off your personal equipment is all the same, but you have to be aware of what type of personal protective equipment you need for what the contact precautions are. Oh, okay, that's good. Right? Because you need to know what kind of mask to wear. So if it's like TV, you would have to wear an N95 mask. Oh, okay then. Yeah, but if it's just if it's just COVID, not just COVID, but COVID, you just have to wear the regular mask. Millward is now teaching a variety of frontline workers. People that provide patient care in a variety of different ways, from housekeeping right up to porter services to pharmacists and physiotherapists. We all work as a team to provide that patient uh, with a holistic approach. How you doing, Faye? How's it going today? Faye Williams is one of the elders of the Beachville community. She relaxes in her favorite Lazy Boy's chair. And at one point, Faye said she was fearful of COVID-19. first heard about it, a feeling of fear came over me. Well, what are we going to do if that's the we that's tough, you know? And then all of a sudden I heard about all these people that were getting sick. And I was just hoping that no one around us got sick. Really nervous for a while. But then I just trusted in the Lord. You know, we go to church every Sunday. And, and I go every once in a while to the grocery stores. And that's for the, the government. I think they did quite a bit for, well, some of the people, I'll say. And they haven't done too much for our group of people. Lynn Millward and Faye Williams will soon have their vaccines. COVID-19 has made us careful in our deliberation. Like most people, Faye Williams and Lynn Millward will be happy when COVID-19 is a distant memory. 
Very it. Since the pandemic hit last year, Michael, a lot of people have had to pack up their desks and hang up work clothes without a choice. And humans aren't the only ones. Guide dogs have been suffering from a lack of work, and their training has decreased significantly due to COVID-19. Haley Dilnot-Reed is here to tell us more. Haley? Marianne, I heard about a woman who uses a seeing-eye dog because she was blind. She said that she had to retire her guide dog because she could not work him enough during the pandemic. That got me thinking, and I gave a call to Daly Shellen. She is an optician who has been working with people who have severe visual impairment and a particular interest in people who rely on guide dogs. She's noticed that since the majority of the population has chosen to stay in their homes, it is providing less working opportunities for service dogs, especially seeing-eye dogs. Um, when a guide dog is not working every day, then they are losing their skills as well. These dogs live to serve. Taking the challenge out of a service dog's life can have detrimental effects on their mental health. Sometimes handlers have to choose whether the dog remains working or retires into a regular pet. If that happens, a new dog has to be trained, and that can take two years. And on top of that, a national training facility is closed due to COVID-19. Uh, part of the other issues is that, um, of course, the training center in Ottawa has had to be closed. So those dogs that were in training are now stalled in their training and we'll have to start again. More from almost their fostering stage. Kimber Weber is a volunteer for a nonprofit organization called Canine Pad. She trains service dogs for people around Nova Scotia. Dogs that support people who have conditions like autism or PTSD. She believes COVID-19 has taken a toll on their service dogs too. Really hard work for a service dog. Some dogs, like in the pandemic, decide they just they don't want to work anymore. And we don't want to ever force the dog to be working. In spite of the challenges, Weber says her group is adapting training and hopes to meet ongoing demands. This year it looks like we're going to um, be able to get our charity status and really look at growing. So Marianne, you can hear that COVID-19 will be affecting the training and provision of guide dogs and service dogs, even after the virus is under control. Haley, sometimes I forget that dogs are a lot like us. Now for some women who are not like us, or at least not like me. I like my feet dry, on land, but Nova Scotia is known as Canada's ocean playground. And for the first time in our province, an all-female group is doing some deep diving. Darcy Neal introduces us to the sea foxes. A new cruise in town. Cars pull in at Fox Point Beach, a dive training site in Hubbard's Nova Scotia. They call themselves the Sea Foxes, and they are the province's first all-female dive group. This community of women is diverse in age and diving experience. Founder April Wickert says that the group which started in 2019 has been attracting more divers each year. These women are year-round divers. Today, it's a sunny three degrees. A Sea Fox member zips into her dry suit. Lots of thick layers, weight belts, and 35-pound tanks. Gearing up can be half the battle. After they suit up, they get into pairs with a dive buddy, then head out into the two-degree water. Before the Sea Foxes, few women showed up for group dives. Wickert says having an all-female crew gets more certified female divers out diving. We would certify lots of girls uh, on our courses, but then we never saw them really dive again. And I think part of the reason that it did catch on so quickly and it grew so big 
uh, was just because there literally was a need for it. There was nothing like it before, and everybody's really happy to come out. After a 30 to 45 minute dive, the sea foxes come out with smiles and mass marks rimming their eyes. Going beneath the surface with an all-female crew has its perks. As a member of the sea foxes, Stacy Moser knows that some women face challenges in the gearing up and gearing down process. These women know that in a mixed group of divers, sometimes you have to ask for help. I find all of the groups are really supportive, regardless if it's mixed. But with the women, we understand the challenges that each of us has. Um, when you're diving with men, they'll go one of two ways. They'll either assume that you always need help and that you can't do it, or they forget that you might need help. Where with women, we look out for each other, I think, a little bit more. The Sea Foxes helped bridge a gap that just a couple years ago saw more men participating in dive groups than women. The all-female group is encouraging more women to dive with them and to join the tight-knit Nova Scotia dive community. Sea Foxes, a brave and adventurous group, just like our intrepid reporters. This wraps up our podcast. Thank you to all of our contributors, Michael, Hannah, Haley, Lane, Darcy, Elizabeth, and Josh. And here's to a brave and adventurous summer. I'm Marianne McClarty. Thanks for listening. Thank you.